This is Momming While Feminist. We're here to have authentic, open-minded, hopeful, and maybe even helpful conversation about being a mom in a world where gender inequality and misogyny are everywhere. We want our parenting decisions to reflect our values as feminists, but that's not easy, so we need to talk about it. Welcome. Welcome. I'm Lisa. And I'm Lindsay. I have two sons, ages five and seven, and a daughter, age two. And I have two daughters, ages three and six. Hi, Lisa. Hi, Lindsay. (laughs) Hi, everyone. So today's episode is about books, and maybe we'll get a little bit into media, but mostly books. Yes? For young children. Yeah. For for younger children. children. Yeah. Um, Because we don't have any older children. Yeah. (laughs) That'll be a later podcast. We need a guest for the older children. That's right. Oh, my gosh. Someone, please volunteer. Yeah. Let us Um, know if you want to come talk to us. We would love that. But first of all, what is your feminist crush of the week? Who, what, when, sure. where, and why is your feminist crush of the week? You go first. Oh, no. <laughs> oh gee. Okay. So, okay. So, so mine is tangentially related, related to just the thing that is helping Lisa like get through dark times, which has been listening to musicals. I feel like I can listen to a musical and feel like I'm like a little bit my brain is engaged, but I don't have to like pay attention like a podcast. So I'll often listen to like musicals I know by heart while I'm working even. And they just bring me some peace and calm. Love it. And the musical that is just such a great feminist musical is Wicked. Have you seen Mm -hmm. Wicked? Yes. And I love love the music. Yeah. Love the music. Love the message. It's for people who haven't seen it, it's the, a take on The Wizard of Oz from the perspective of the Wicked Witch of the West. And turns out the Wicked Witch of the West isn't wicked. She's this strong. She's like an activist. Have you read the book? No, I haven't. I haven't. In the book, she's even more of an act. She's, she's an activist and it's like all about, because so much of it is about animal rights. Animal rights. Like the rights Absolutely. of animals in the kingdom. Yeah, exactly. And, she and she's even more hardcore in the book. Yeah, and she refuses to go after, like, this dream she had held on to for so long because she realized that animals were being hurt. The other one that I've been really liking is Dear Evan Hansen. It's weird. I don't love all of the musical, but I love the first song, which is a mother singing, Does Anybody Have a Map? And uh, Mm. that's another one that I I feel like it captures – she's a single mom, like, just trying to get – through to her son and she can't quite and, and it's just a fun one so anyway musicals musicals with strong women that's, that's my awesome and i love the song defying gravity i sing that that's one of my motivational songs when i quit my job when caroline was 18 months old yeah like, that's an amazing one mm-hmm. yeah i love that song so what's your feminist crush this week so my feminist crush for this week is the Eight to Abolition campaign. Um, and uh, a few weeks ago during the, um, when the, uh, the uprisings the, uh, for Black Lives Matter in response to the killings of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and so many others, there was um, a campaign put out around about reform, which was like, um, we eight can't wait. So there was the eight can't wait, um, which was basically like a form of uh, was a list of police reforms. So these group of activists, mainly women, women of color, queer women got together and they've been working for together on, on abolition, police and prison abolition for years, got together and came up with a sort of a, a similar 
approach eight to abolition. And I just think it was so brilliant because they came up with this so quickly and um, they got it out there so fast that it was really able to change that conversation and change the conversation back to abolition, which is really where um, things needed to be. So my feminist crush, and I still really admire their work, even though it's been a few, few weeks since that's happened. But yeah, my feminist crush is the team behind the eight to abolition. That's awesome. Yeah, I'd seen the eight can't wait. And I was like, wait a minute. A lot of yeah. people are sharing this. Yes. And it was nice to see it evolve. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Kudos to that, that team of badass activists. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So we're going to start with our quiz. That's right. I got a quiz for you. Um, okay. So again, the topic today, we're talking about books for young children and feminism and how that all fits together. So I have a few quiz questions for you, Lisa. So first, true or false? An in-depth analysis of the top 100 children's books in 2017 found that the lead characters in children's books are 50% more likely to be male than female. True? That is true. Yes. So um, these are books that included like the Gruffalo and there was like a Peppa Pig book and there was... I can't, I'll, I'll post the link. The article is in The Guardian. But yeah, so the, the lead characters of the books were 50% more likely to be male than female in terms of representation. In other words, there's two men for every one female yes. protagonist. Yes, okay. yes. Just a little math. Yeah. Twice as likely. That's what I should have said. Twice, twice as, as likely. likely. Male characters are twice as likely to take leading roles in children's picture books and are given far more speaking parts than females, according to research that shines a spotlight on the casual sexism apparently inherent in young children's reading material. Apparently awesome. and inherent. Where, and, and you're reading that straight from the article? I am reading that straight from the article. It's check. written by Donna Ferguson in The Guardian. Interesting. And so this included books like The Gruffalo, Guess How Much I Love You, Dear Zoo, The Day the Crayons Came Home, You Can't Take an Elephant on the Bus, There's a Monster in Your Book. But anyways. Okay, second question. In that same study... They found that the villain of children's books is also more likely to be male than female. So how much more likely was it for the villain in children's books to be male hmm. than female? I'm going to give you three options. A, twice as likely. B, okay. five times as likely. C, eight times as likely. I guess in between twice as likely and the other, the highest one, the middle. I pick so, the middle. Five times as likely? Yeah. So it was actually, the, it was the highest. It was eight times really? as likely. Yeah. So villains were eight times more likely to be male than female. I That's guess, so, really nuts. And of course, not all the books had a villains. villain. But there was only one book in all of the top 100 that had a female villain. And it was in Peppa and her golden boots. And um, she was a duck who steals Peppa Pig's boots and takes them to the moon. <laughs> <laughs> so... A few, other, a few other stats from this article, the characters who got an opportunity to speak were twice as likely to be male than female, and male characters outnumbered female characters in almost half the stories that made it into the top 100. So there were more male characters. Male characters were always the good guy, more likely to be, or more likely to be the protagonist good guy, more likely to be the protagonist villain, and they spoke more. And the non-human creatures were also more likely to be assigned a male assigned the gender male which does not surprise me because it's always like the default that the the oh, animal yes. is a male and the crayon or whatever is a male yeah okay so third question in 2008 the percent of children's books about african-american children was a less than 10 percent 
B, between 10 and 20%, or C, between 20 and 30%? Uh, I think A, less than 10%. That's right. It was 6% in 2008. And it increased to 11% in 2019. So yeah, yeah. 6% like, in 2008 reason, to 11% in 2019. Yeah. The only reason why I know that this is that low, like that staggeringly low, is because I'm a, we actually have not even mentioned this. I'm a math coach for a set of schools and we did a project where we audited our library and like created data around our library. Um, oh, wow. And whether the library was like culturally relevant to the children and the children determined what culturally relevant meant for them and audited the library based on their own criteria. And we looked at how many books had African-American protagonists and it was shocking. And then like it, it was more representative than like the general population of published books, but it was still really low. Mm-hmm. But if you want to be like really terrified which is something we looked for, is then to look if the author is a black author. Yeah. And that is another statistic, which I looked up because I knew we were going to talk about this. This comes from the blog, the Open Book blog, which is a blog on race, diversity, education, and children's books. And according to the Cooperative Children's Book Center, which did this study, only about 29% of books about African-American people were by black authors. Mm. So that means like 29% of whatever you said, 8%. It's crazy and criminal. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really, really good point. And so when we think about, when we combine the statistic about gender and the the data about gender and the representation of girls, women, in children's books, combined with the representation of black children in children's books. So what does this mean for black girls? Right. And I, I haven't seen it's probably out there somewhere. I didn't see it in my in, in any of these articles I talked about. But obviously it's much less. Right. Right. <laughs> when you combine both of those factors. So um that's framing our framing our discussion today about books and what we've seen and what we've learned and what's made us angry <laughs> and how we've learned to how we try and I guess steer or counter this um, obvious lack of representation and bias and lack of representation. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, so it seems really simple in some cases, like what do you look for then in your books as a feminist mom, right? I want representation, but I think that it's worth unpacking that a little bit more because Mm -hmm. even in that statistic of like 8% of books have, black main characters, they're not being written by black authors. Yeah. So it's not enough to say, well, I have a lot of books with black characters, right? Like right. that's not representation even. Right. So I think it's worth kind of unpacking that. And I'd be interested to hear like, what are you looking for in your kid's library? Yeah. So as I was preparing for this, I came up with these, <laughs> a list of these, what I've seen. So this isn't necessarily what I've been looking for, but these are the, the stereotypes that I see portrayed in in books so again it's not just about representation even when we see representation we see gender portrayed in, in traditional ways stereotypical ways but also in more recently and I, I find in like 
the new commodified version of, of girls empowerment. So can I walk through these, my like yeah. the tropes that I've seen? Okay. I feel so like first I'm going to honestly stab myself in the eye with a pencil by the time you're done hearing all of these. No, it, it, no, no. You, you'll recognize them. No, I know more in the sense, like I don't like to be reminded. <laughs> yeah. And, and part of me wonders if sometimes I'm just overreacting and Give maybe I'm me. gaslighting myself by say that. So, okay. So the first one is, is pretty typical. It's the damsel in distress. So we all know this one. This is the princess that needs rescued. So, I mean, it's pretty easy to try and keep some these books I find out of our library, like the traditional, like Cinderella story. So we did, Caroline brought home from school, Thumbelina. And she really wanted to read this book. She read it in school. And so this is the perfect example because it's Thumbelina has no agency, no power over herself. She relies on people. People are constantly just making decisions about her lives, her life. It's actually really disturbing. And then it feels like this like trafficking. She's just like, people keep kidnapping her animals keep kidnapping her so she'll be somebody's wife <laughs> and then um in the end she ends up finding a fairy and uh marries him and lives happily ever after oh, and, um, oh my god and that's it and see i already want to stab myself through the eye with a pencil yeah yeah um well so can i just say one thing about princesses i do not mean to derail your things but I, this is just something i've observed i think it speaks to the idea that like these libraries avoiding these things matter so much for girls, but they also just matter almost doubly for boys that, mm. that we can't have these things in boy libraries either. One of the things I noticed about the princess books, it was really interesting to me because Paw Patrol books were just, they were just like the pop. They weren't even a story. It just like Paw Patrol helps people. Paw Patrol does it in all seasons. Paw Patrol does it with many belts. And then, but then, like the, um, but then the princess books were all about the princesses being helpers. Like, I was yeah. like, this is a bummer. Like, um, they all had the traditional princesses, but none of them were being saved because, of course, we're, we're hip now. We're in the teensies at this point. It was like Cinderella made a dr- four dresses for the four girls for the festival, but oh no, there were five girls. But it's okay. The girls will all share some fabric to make a new dress. And then it was like, Belle meets a friend and Belle wants to. So this brings me to my second trope. (laughs) So that's a, that's a great segue because, because yeah, this is like the more modern, the modern princess or the modern female protagonist is like, I call it the the perfect girl who saves everyone or so, and saves can be, saves the day. And it doesn't have to be like saves someone's life. But like you just said, like that example of there's a problem and the girl swoops in and solves it for everybody. So that everybody's kindness. Yeah. Yes. And the perfect level of kindness. And it's like this other end of the, the pendulum where we had like on the one end, the woman, the girl woman has, is the one who's saved. And then on the other end, she has to do all the saving but in both situations, she has to be perfect and beautiful and kind and not be angry and not mess up and not make a mistake. Well, gosh, um, and the way you just said it about the saving is it's not like she's not – she's never saving a burning building. She's not doing saving like that. She's saving people's feelings. Yeah, which is usually. Even worse. Like, blah. Who wants to save yeah. people's feelings? I mean, I think sometimes she is. But, yeah, I think mostly it's like, sa- yeah, saving people's feelings, making sure everybody is happy. Um, And the the one that is in my house the most, and this is a a TV show, but we also have stories, is Sophia the First from the Disney Sophia the First. And Uh I 
hate this with such a passion because she is so perfect and like everything. And then, and then there's this other, her sister, so Sophia is a princess and she wasn't born a princess, but her mom married the king. And so now she's a princess and she's Mm -hmm. learning about how to be a princess. And her sister who was born a princess is like the stereotypical, stereotypical snob. And um, it's the same thing where Sophia is so kind and helpful that she does everything right. And, and, and it just makes me so mad because it's this, this myth of perfection and we're imposing this like perfectionism on our daughters and this expectation of perfectionism as well as being taking care of her and, and the caretaking, like caretaking of other, others. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Sophia the first has a, is, is a cringe every time they turn her on. So, okay. So that's the, that's the second trope. So the third trope is the mom as caretaker, the dad as present. <laughs> maybe he does some building in the book so this is like they're not always the main characters but they're like the mom and the dad in the book and it's typically heterosexual parents and um the mom is the one who is 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 doing the caretaking domestic type work and it's more subtle than just being like she's making dinner there is definitely a lot of that she's the one always one making dinner and he's not but i see it as being more subtle where it's like she's the one talking to the child about cleaning the room where she's the one saying it's time to get ready for school now. And he's like sitting there reading the paper or like, and, and the dialogue is assigned to her. The caretaking dialogue is assigned to her and he's just there. Yeah. Um, we, there's this book right now that we're reading um, a fancy Nancy book and it's the same. And it's that example that I was just talking about and every scene of the mom, she's doing some sort of like, mom is so happy. I cleaned my room. And like dad is watching tv <laughs> or even like llama llama red pajama where the mom yeah. is like doing the dishes and answering the phone and llama's getting worried right. and it's like where's the dad couldn't the dad have gone in right right yeah so that's my third trope the mom is caretaker the dad is either present or not present <laughs> i just want to go back to one thing and i'm this is just quickly about like your second trope it's interesting because when you think about like what the kind of for all of these like tropes that are impacting like girls and characterizations of girls. There's of course like the flip of how they're mm-hmm. characterizing boys and mm-hmm. the one where the girl is being saved is pretty obvious, right? Like the boy has to come in and save mm-hmm. the day and have like a bunch of male swagger, but the boy equivalent of the girl being perfect and taking care of all the things is the boy being a rascal. This is my fourth trope. Oh, I'm so sorry. That's okay. So my fourth one is the guy's a goofball. The girl has to rein him in. Yeah. Is that basically what you're saying? Like he's the rascal. Yeah. Although I don't even care if the girl reins him in. Like I'm just so tired. Like I just feel like because the the role model of like save the day is kind of like not on the table anymore for boys, the only one left is like charming rogue, which is like a rascal when you're younger. And mm-hmm. honestly, I'm just like, I don't find rascals charming. I find yeah. them exhausting. I yeah. don't, don't want to marry a rascal. I don't want to work with a rascal. So, um, okay, my fifth one is called the mansplainer or the guy who takes more credit than he deserves. So, Oh, gosh, yeah. I hadn't even thought the, of that one, Lindsay. The book that I think of the most for this is there's this book called Going Places by um, Paul Reynolds and Peter Reynolds. 
and it's these these kids and they're in school and they get this um go-kart they're having a go-kart competition and they all get um a box to make a um, a go-kart and um so the boy uh, Ralph gets his box and he's so excited and he builds his right away. He follows the instruction. His neighbor is a girl, a girl of color and or appears to be, and she um, has this imagination. And instead of making a go-kart, she comes up with some sort of like bird like thing. Like she studies a bird and comes up with a bird. Wow. And he's like, Oh, I didn't realize that we didn't, we didn't have to follow instructions. She's like, who said it had to be a go-kart. So like, so cool and brainy and like creative. So he's like, I really want to win this. Let's team up. So they team up and they make an airplane together and, and then they fly the airplane. And then on like the day of the competition, like she's the one flying it. And so this is like her idea. And yeah, he helps implement it. So on the day, and, and he's like, and so they're at the competition. Everyone else has go-karts and the go-karts start going. So like the, you know, time to go. They all go. And she hasn't left yet. And he's in the passenger seat. They're in this airplane. He's like, what are you waiting for? And she's like, patience. And then they go and then they win. And it's like, and it just drives me, it makes me mad that he gets the credit for and yeah, I mean, I think the point is like, you need both the people who follow the instructions and you need the people that are like the visionaries and the creative. But to me, I feel like she should be getting the credit. <laughs> well, and it's like these books don't even pass the Bechtel. Isn't it the Bechtel test? The Bechtel test? Yeah. Yeah. What is it? Yeah. How do I pronounce it? The Be- I'm not sure, but the, yeah, the Bechtel test. Yeah. Like they don't even pass that test. Like why couldn't another girl have come up and been right. her foil? Right. Right. It's gotta be a boy. Boys wouldn't read it, I suppose. Right. Yeah. And yeah, then no, he's sitting in the airplane. Like, what are you doing? Why aren't you flying yet? I'm just like, oh my God, that kid is such gonna grow up to be a mansplainer. And it's really <laughs> I kind of love that book and I and there's so much I like about it, but that and it's also written by two men. So I don't know. It feels to me like they're just using this girl because they she had the idea and they're like going along for the ride and like getting all the credit and it just makes me mad. So that's that one. Yeah. Um, interesting. Yeah. I had not thought about the last one, the mansplainer. And I think that's a really good point. Okay. I have two more. This, this next one is similar to the one okay. I just gave, but it's, um, so the guy is the leader and the girl is the sidekick or the administrative role. And oh, yeah. this is similar to the one where the guy takes all the credit, more credit than he deserves the mansplainer. But, um, and, and the main examples I thought of for this were TV shows, actually, not books. Because this is like Wild Kratts and Super Y, which are both very educational shows that are But really also great. Paw Patrol, even Paw Patrol. Like, I haven't seen We all know one, Sky. So. We all know Sky was added in at the end because they needed a they girl needed pup. A girl. Yeah. Later, they were like, oh, Paw shoot, Paw only one girl pup isn't enough. They add Everest. <laughs> we can't token anymore i know but um yeah and actually i've i've noticed some of there have been i think some of the more recent wild crafts where the girls the women that are like that do the admin stuff actually get to go and do some of the cool stuff but for the most part it's like these two bows get to do all the cool stuff and they're like running things from from the back end yeah and super Y is the same thing that's a great show for learning to read but like the wyatt is always the leader. He's like, why can't there's there there's a um, little red. There, 
Yeah, there's two girls and there's a pig, which I guess is presumably a male. They, they seem to suggest that. I don't know why it has to be a male. But um, then, but like why it always has to be the leader. And it just, like these guys are growing up to see these, guys are always in these leadership roles. I know. And it just, mm. and even books where it's like girls are, um, and this should be another trope that I didn't do, where it's like when girls defy the norm, but still everyone else all the other figures in the book are still men. So there's this book, Violet the Pilot, that we got through our Dolly Parton imagination um, yeah. library book, you know, where you get the free books in the mail. And it's this little girl who wants to build a plane. All the kids are laughing at her. And she, like, she's an engineer. She builds things and she built a plane and she was going to go um, compete in a um, competition. And she ended up stopping to save the a group of Boy Scouts that were she did. stuck in a river and picked and then saved them and took them to the hospital so she couldn't compete. And then at the end, um, the mayor and all these leaders in the town come to give her a medal and they are all men. Like it's like <laughs> sending this message where it is possible to be a hero female, but it's rare. <laughs> like, right. Well, so, you this know, really speaks instead to of something. normalizing it. Like, right. Right. And I think this speaks to something that's really interesting, which is that like, the response to the fact that the books were basically male-centered and male-dominated mm-hmm. was to yeah. be like, okay, we need feminist books. And you could tell you could tell that it was very much like we need feminist books from like a, almost like the stereotypes about feminists yeah, yeah. perspective as opposed to just like we need books about boys and books about girls too, just doing like normal stuff. Yes, yes. You know, and like I feel that way about when when I had Rose, I had like a little tiny shower because she was a girl. Not not even a shower, but like a little tiny party because she was a girl. My sisters threw for me. And they wanted to like, you know, celebrate with pink and flowers. It was lovely. And when I had a girl, I got a lot of gifts that were like feminist gifts, which I appreciate because I'm gonna raise Rose to be a feminist. Although I'm also gonna raise a boy to be a feminist. So it would have been awesome if I'd gotten like feminist gifts for Nathaniel but it's cool and like the books I got were all um basically like they weren't biographies like one biography although that is definitely (laughs) like a whole genre of feminist books but they'd be just like random it'd be like one page about each woman you don't actually understand this woman as a full person and if it's really little baby books it'll literally be like um, Mother Teresa was kind to young children. Ruth Bader Ginsburg went to court. You know, <laughs> like Harriet Tubman freed the slaves. And like literally this is what your kid is reading. Your kid is just reading like the name of a woman and that like she did something. It's so weird that like that is like you just said these like books like so few are about women and then there's this huge number that are about women that aren't even really about like actual, yeah. like don't treat the women as people. I don't know. It's so weird. Yeah. It's like yeah. you're reading a set of flashcards. Are you also talking about like the Rebel Girls books? Even too? the Rebel Go- Girls books. And, yeah. Like, we had the Rebel Girls books since we had Nathaniel and Miles was obsessed, wanted to read like mm. one page about one woman, the same woman. I think he just thought she was beautiful and like loved yeah. her. But Still, I find it, I just find it super weird 
Uh, I just hate books that are only about feminists and don't even really make sense or have a plot and no kid would ever be interested in them. I completely agree. I think that's great. And I think we need to make this another trope. What should we call it? The token feminist book? Excellent. I agree. Let's do it. Okay. Then I have one final trope, uh, the dinosaur and the farmer. Okay. This is is books where where, um, certain characters or certain creatures or certain things are always either male or female. So dinosaurs in most books are almost always male. And farmers in books are almost always male. And like trucks are the same thing. Like you yep. said, the little blue truck. So the dinosaur, the farmer, and the truck. Those are, these are always gendered as, as being male. Like the book, the, do you know the, how does a dinosaur say goodnight book? How does the dinosaur oh, go to I school book? I actually loved those books. Because they're girl dinosaurs? They're all, they're all male. Yeah. All the din- so we always just change the pronouns, which I know we'll talk about which will be our, our segue into the next is like yeah. we change it, make them female. But, um, but it just boggles my mind because I'm, the author is a female and she like dedicated the books to her daughters. Like where do you think dinosaurs came from if they're all male? Like I got my niece this t-shirt once <laughs> because she was really into dinosaurs. It said half the dinosaur, half the half of all T-Rexes are female. Cause it's like, obviously why are all the dinosaurs in our books? That's really funny. Mo Willems has a great book, um, Edwina about Edwina. The dinosaur and and the dinosaur is female, and Mo Willems actually has a good book. His his uh, Piggy and Gerald books mm-hmm. I think is a nice reverse on the whole. The guy is the goofball because Piggy's kind of the Piggy's the goofball in the elephant and Piggy books. And well, Gerald who's is more the secret. girl and the boy in those books? I can't. Piggy always tell. is the girl. Piggy How do you is, know? Is she they he gives her a she pronoun. Oh man, yeah. see, I I was really thinking maybe that Mo Williams had created like totally gender neutral characters. He he doesn't do it very often. He doesn't do it very often. It'd be so awesome he, if he could just avoid yeah. it. Like just yeah, like that. I wouldn't be surprised if he he avoided it on purpose. But when I have seen it, the piggy has been a she. Yeah. Okay, so those are my those are the seven tropes. Um, so yeah, let's talk about what we do. Well, so try. that was the one I was going to bring up, and I mean it's interesting because. You said you mentioned the changing pronouns. I held off on changing pronouns for such a long time. Um, yeah, why? Because I felt like I should find books that had like female authors, female leads, and were like everything I wanted. That I should just fill my library with the right books, you know, mm-hmm. and not just try to take. Like it felt like giving mm, hand me downs to my daughter instead of her own set of. Yeah, I don't know. I just felt like it was unavoidable. Well, right. That's what I learned. Well, tell us. So tell us. So what are we even talking about with pronouns? So what do you do with pronouns? So, right. So for a while, I was just changing. Like Little Blue Truck is a prime example. Little Blue Truck has lots of animal friends. A really noisy truck comes through, gets stuck in the mud, who doesn't really want any friends. Little Blue Truck has to help him get out. And Little Blue Truck gets stuck. So then the animals have to help Little Blue Truck. And in the end, the big yellow dump truck realizes that um, having friends is pretty useful, which mm-hmm. I don't know. Anyway, and like in that book, there's literally one pronoun and one time when the dump truck calls the truck little brother. And so I just change it. Yeah. The dump truck is a they. I, and I don't make it into a girl. That one I make non-binary. Like I just yeah. say thanks, little buddy. So yeah. I definitely changed the pronouns. And I was doing it for a while verbally 
but my kids want to read the books and also my mm. husband is reading the books. And so I actually, for a lot of my books, went in with a marker and That's I awesome. literally changed them. And I feel like it's really important when I finally did it, I just felt such relief that the books were going to be the right way. I've even thought about like getting some stickers and putting some stickers over some things I don't like because I want the book. Yeah. Like, books seem to be like the one thing I can really control because yeah. I can literally change the words. Whereas like I can't do that with a TV show. So I just, I find so much safety and comfort in books. Yeah, we, I, I've, my husband and I have always changed, made that a practice to change pronouns pretty frequently. And, and yeah, and also trying to use they, them pronouns too, which is also helpful to us to just, um, to like build up that language and make that, and make that normal for us as, as speaking as well as for, for our kids. And I'll find like, sometimes it's like, literally changing the pronouns is like gets me emotional some books that I've loved and read for so long and to read them as a girl to like read them with a girl main character and just like feel well because of course we like internalize a lot of our own oppression Mm -hmm. and so like yeah to take a book that was like free of all that oppression and read it about a girl like is is for me like a deeply moving experience. Yeah. I will get teary when I read to Rose some of these books. It's yeah. just like, yeah. So um, I wanted to share another thing that I, I, I do. One thing I have learned is to, um, and some of these, some of the tropes that I, and stereotypes that I just shared, it is important to recognize that not everybody reads these stories the same way that I do. And that, Caroline may have a different interpretation altogether. Um, and so, so that's why trying to, and I'm still working on this, getting in a practice of talking about it and asking her what she thinks instead of just pointing out, this is a stereotype. And I'll give you an example. You know, The Little Mermaid. Um, every, so I think it's pretty, there's a pretty typical mainstream feminist thought that Little Mermaid is sexist because The Little Mermaid gives up her voice for a man. Mm-hmm. I had a colleague at a workplace once who told me that she really identified with that story because she saw Ariel as being someone who felt like she didn't belong in in the community. It felt like she was different than other people in her family. That she was she was in a body that didn't really belong to her. That she um, really felt like she belonged in a different community and she really identified it from that perspective it was like wow I never thought about that and that's that's and that's okay and that's and that's so I so I do think it's important that was really eye-opening to me in terms of how sometimes we go into these 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 stereotypes and the ones that I just mentioned so dogmatically to the point where we can miss out on some other interpretations um, that other people may have wow. so I just wanted to offer that up as well so, so this was really helpful for me. One, one day I was looking and, and, it, and it's where I got my criteria for, for what I want the library to be. One day I was looking up books about children with disabilities. Like mm-hmm. I realized this was a gap in our library and I wanted to remedy it. And so I was reading different blogs, trying to get different ideas for what would be appropriate um, for my kids. And I'm not even sure, this was a few years ago. So I tried to go back and find the exact same author who I just was so deeply moved by what she wrote because she herself had a disability. 
and she was talking about books about for kids with disabilities mm. and um the way that she spoke about books and how she didn't want the books to be about the disability she just wanted there to be like kids with disabilities who were like i don't know like Take Curious George, for example, right? I have a book about Curious George. He sees a man with a long string, goes fishing. He has a long string, so he turns it into a fishing pole. He tries to fish. He uses cake. The fish don't eat it. He eats the cake himself. That's the story. Yeah. Right? That could just be a kid who's hard of hearing. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, or that could just be a girl. It doesn't yeah. have to be a book about, like, the, the, the way, and that's what I guess I'm trying to say about the feminist books. It's like the way, like, it, like, it's like someone setting out to write a book with a girl hero. It has to be somehow about her being a girl. Mm-hmm. Or if I'm going to write a yeah. book with someone where the, the main character is about a person with a disability, then the book has to be about the disability. And so I really thought that that was so so powerful and one website i did find since then like trying to find this woman because i just thought she had phrased it so perfectly i wish i could quote her but i did find another mother um with a disability she's a mother of color and she has a website called booksforlittles.com and she organizes the books in lots of different ways and one of the ways she has like a section where she talks about books for kids with disabilities and i thought her criteria might be helpful to share because it's definitely useful to think about if you're getting books um, about with main characters who have disabilities. But it's also a useful way to think about any time you want your books to be representative. She says, center on a disabled character in their own voice. Right? Like, I think maybe that's my problem with the um, even the feminist books too. Is it's like almost like this is a girl. She is strong. Like, just the third-person position is so offensive. I don't know. Um, Are created by makers who are actually disabled or who extensively consult with actually disabled adults? Yes. And it goes back to some of the other, you know, like the conversation we're having about Black authors and Black characters. And then feature neutral, non-pathologizing language. I don't think I need to explain that one. Backup statements with database facts and refute myths and stereotypes. Um, So I thought all of that was really useful. Right. Well, should we end with sharing some of our recommendations, like of specific books, books or sites and whatnot? Yeah. Yeah. You want to go first? Um, yes. Yeah. So I had trouble thinking of the specific titles as I was going through. And then as I was sorting through my library, I realized a lot of these books were like lent out and in various places. So I'm going to add a few more, I think, for the list on our website if people are interested. The only book that is explicitly feminist that I really like is called feminist baby and it's based and the reason i love it is because it's not about like hey this woman's a feminist also this woman's a feminist also this woman's a feminist i hate that as i mentioned but the reason i like it is because it's like that except for it's like before ruth bader ginsburg joined the supreme court she was a baby Baby. (laughs) rose loves it it's a flip book you flip it up that's awesome and like ruth bader ginsburg becomes a baby that's so cool. It's awesome. And like one thing even stays. So like Ruth Bader Ginsburg's like glasses remain on the baby. That's awesome. <laughs> so that's the only book that's explicitly feminist like that that I can like truly get behind. The others that I really like, lately my challenge has been finding read-alouds, like chapter books. 
that my older kids want to read and also series Mm. because like that's a really good way to get a kid to read like when when a kid is in that first and second and third grade like ideally you get them hooked on a series they read every book in the series and that's how they like grow their brains around reading yeah Ramona Quimby is a series that I loved as a little girl and one of the reasons why I love it is because she's a rascal Yes, she is. Yeah. Now, there are some really problematic parts of it still. Like, it's old. But like you said, like, you stop, you talk about them. Um, so I really like Ramona Quimby. Matilda is another good one. Clementine is a good series. And I think you've read, like, um, and I guess I mentioned this because these are series that, like, my boys are into. And there's nothing that makes me cool. happy than to see them, like, truly, like, loving a female protagonist. Julian's World is a series with a black boy lead that is another good series. It's really hard to find Hmm. series with black protagonists, especially black male protagonists. Hmm. There actually are quite a few with black female protagonists, but a lot of them aren't written by black authors. So that's a real downer. So those are the ones that came to the top of my head and I can think of some more. Because this is something that I'm, like, always trying to find more of. Mm-hmm. Then two books that I really love from the Books for Littles website, specifically the, um, the, the part of their website about destigmatizing disability, mm-hmm. is My Traveling Eye and Not So Different. In My okay. Traveling Eye, the um, little girl really embraces her, quote-unquote, disability. Like, she doesn't see it as a disability. And she doesn't, like, the the doctors want to fix her eye, and she doesn't necessarily want the eye fixed, but then Mm -hmm. she eventually does get it fixed. And it just does a really good job at being, like, in a gray area. It's Mm -hmm. not like there's one right way or one right, you know. So I really like that. And then the book Not So Different is about a boy just, like, honestly answering questions about himself and, like, sharing his own life in a really um, lovely way. And then there were two about transgender children that I really love. One is called I Am Jazz, and the other is called My Ballerina Boy. No, My Princess Boy. Okay. Um, cool. And those are just both really sweet ones. I don't have any of those books. I will have to add those. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. My, mer- my library. So the, one, the first one I recommend is called Julian is a Mermaid by Jessica Love. This story is just beautiful. It's about an Afro-Latinx boy who loves mermaids and wants to be a mermaid. So it has this theme of being gender non-binary. He has his abuela who's supportive and the pictures in it are so beautiful. There's really not much text, but it's the most, it's the pictures are beautiful. And, um, and the love between this little boy and his abuela is just gorgeous. So I love that book. The A Mighty Girl website, amightygirl.com. Um, if you're listening to this podcast, you probably already know about it, but they have a, they have a bunch of great re- resources. They do have um, a guide to independent princesses, pr- books about independent princesses that um, when, when we started getting into the princess phrase, I um, explored. One of those that I really like is called Dangerously Ever After by Dashka Slater. <laughs> and this is about, she's a princess who loves dangerous things, like like swords and like she has awful. a garden all full of like poisonous plants and oh my gosh my boy she's such a badass that. and it's really it's really cool princess grace by mary hoffman 
is we I also really really liked I just realized so Grace is a black girl um, and there's a whole series of books about her and we have a few of these and we've really liked those because they they ha they do at times explicitly discuss race and gender um, but I didn't but it's written it is written by a white woman but I really like Princess Grace and how it redefines princesses and like has tells the story and brings in the stories of like of Nigerian princesses, um, of other princesses from Africa, and really kind of redefines our understanding of princess. And I, I, I really liked it for that. There's some other, there's a lot of these princess books out there, like The Paperback Princess and Princess Bubble that are really more for adult women, I feel like. Like I've gotten yeah. them, like Caroline won't get this um, because it's just like saying, you don't need a man. And I'm like, she doesn't think she does yet, I don't think. Anyways, my um, my um, um my my sons love Paperback Princess because she says you are a bum and they just think that's like <laughs> so funny that she like calls him out and they yeah. want to call other people out that way too. Um there's this book called Bombaloo about a girl. It's basically about when kids have tantrums and it's about a girl and how she when she gets upset she turns into Bombaloo. And um this book has been really really helpful because caroline has identified because she can have very very intense tantrums and she has identified with her wow, um that's great so i'm not really sure if that's a feminist or not but anyways it's a good book it's about a girl and it uh it normalizes anger in girls and like the feeling of anger and um and also is helpful for for girls who, who do have really intense emotions something they can identify with and i'm sure boys could could as well um, I did want to put out a promo for a friend of mine's book. It's an e-novel all about coronavirus, and it's about a multiracial girl living through coronavirus in D.C., and she's releasing one chapter a week online, and written by Gimbia Kettering, and she is also a woman of color um, living in a multiracial family, and it's a great online chapter book. So for older kids, please check that out. Yeah, and I'll stop there for my recommendations. Cool. Okay. How are you going to take care of my friend Lindsay this week? I am going to start reading more poetry again. I got into a, a poetry. Uh, I was really into reading poetry for a while. I started about a year and a half, like intensely trying to do it. And I was reading a lot during the first part of the coronavirus, but I haven't been reading as much lately. And I want to get back into that. So I want to read at least a poem. I usually read at night or in the morning just read a few poems and I want to get back into that as part of my like intentional spiritual care for myself. So that's my, that's my thing. That's awesome. How are you taking care of my friend Lisa this week? So mine's a little, mine's a little strange because I'm not like it. Mine is nothing physical, but I had this huge realization. Like we're in a time where there are a lot of calls to action in my Facebook feed and my Instagram feed. And I had been like working steadily to like take steps, you know, to be, to do what I think is right. And when there was this like flood of people suddenly like chiming in, I became really, really overwhelmed. And one of the things I realized in like reflecting on it is like I suddenly stopped trusting that like future Lisa would continue the work. And I then I just had this moment and I'm part of a group being led by 
a black woman about how to be an ally. And she really encourages like pausing and thinking and journaling before you act. And of course, so much of what I'm reading is like act, 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 right? And what I really realized when I was reading like the hundredth recommendation that uh, in this group to just like pause is that like in order to pause, you also trusted that just because you were pausing didn't mean you weren't going to do the action. And that like trust piece, like trusting my future self, like my future self has been doing the work. There's no reason to think she's going to stop just because every message I'm getting right now is like, you're not doing enough. Like, so I'm really working on that. I'm really working on being like, it's okay. You can believe you're, you're going to keep on doing the right thing as best you can. So I'm just going to trust myself and believe in myself. And I think that's yeah. the best way I can take care of myself. I love that. Thanks so much for listening. We'd love to hear what you think about this topic. Our website is mommingwellfeminist.com and you can find us on Facebook and Instagram at mommingwellfeminist. Let's have each other's backs this week and take care of yourself. Da, 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 da.